Gardening Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together, each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Greetings, gardening friends. Cheryl Kennedy is here to take your calls today and John Glidden is standing by to assist with all your garden inquiries. We have an email address that you can send your queries to, gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Class Act, Ellen Simons, always shows us how it's been done. Ellen was supported today by Rob Miller. Thanks, boys. And Jim Crinan took us for a nice little cycle and Jim will return next Saturday morning. Faya Caro, good morning. Good morning, Ray. Isn't it lovely out there? This Right now, we're looking out the window and, and it just looks like it's incredulous to think how it's going to change this afternoon, oh, isn't it? And we've had some gorgeous days this week. It, they have been absolute bliss, haven't they? I don't know anyone that hasn't actually enjoyed a bit of sun, able to perhaps get their washing dry. <laughs> yeah, it's just been lovely. I yeah. can think of more fun things to do than hang out washing, Ray. Oh, I never said I did it. <laughs> Yes, but uh, I know I know it's been an issue, no. Uh, we've been able to get our washing dry, put it out in the morning, go out later in the afternoon, it's still wet, but I do have a dryer. But uh, no, those are the domestic things that I do have to get caught up in, uh, Faye, yeah, unfortunately. Well, we, we all do. It's nice to avoid. The washing doesn't stop for anyone. No, quite right. How's your week been? I've had a fantastic week. I've brought in a bucket of flowers that yeah, I have picked on my... Uh, rounds yesterday, got out and did a country run during the week. I've been fungi mm. hunting. Yeah. I've been weeding. Oh, it's just been brilliant. I love love the sun. I love another week of playtime for you by the sounds of it. <laughs> well, dotted with, yes, orderly duties too. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Okay. Look, this morning we have our special guest, Dan the Bee Man, Dan Dowsett, uh, back by popular demand. This is true. People love him so much. We are having him in the studio. He will join us at 20 minutes to nine. And uh, I have no doubt. He's a, he's a storyteller, really, isn't he? he? The way that he can speak and talk. He has us all just hanging off every word, looking forward to what he's got to say. And he's talking about the spring dwindle. We shall learn more about mm. that when Dan arrives. So Dan, the bee man from 20 to 9, don't miss that. And we're chatting to Jade Miles at 5 past 9. Now, she's the author of Future Steading. Uh, it's an amazing book. Uh, Faye and I both had a look at it and then had... Uh, a little bit of a flick through and uh, her philosophies, her inspiration, I think she will uh, inspire all of us uh, talking to her today about what I know on your list here, we're talking about grafting and worm farming, pollinator planning, fire, growing, preserving and crafting. She's mm. a woman of the future. Well, her her tagline is live like tomorrow matters. And Ray, when I received this book in the mail, I instantly sat down with a cup of tea and started reading and my eyes welled up with tears. I was just a little bit overcome and emotional because it it felt to me like there is hope for the future. It also reminds me a bit of the past, like mm. the slower lifestyle, the things that we used to do 
a bit more of gardening in the backyard or preserving, crafting, using plants that we have to do weaving even. Mm. But so much information and living a simpler life. And I think that's what we we were discussing off air. That's that's the type of life that we would prefer. Well, it's funny. They're in lockdown. Well, it's not funny at all. They're in lockdown again at the moment. And uh, they had another event planned this morning. And when I was looking online, I realised that and, and thought, well, maybe that's not going ahead. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to catch up with Jade and just learn about what she's doing. Black Barn Farm they're mm. on in Victoria. Mm. So I'm looking forward to speaking to her. And and what's more, we're giving the book away. Yes. As yes. well. Okay. And we do have our $75 Bigger Tree gift voucher to give away as well. We're heading to Dianella. We're talking about passion fruit. Caroline, hi. Oh, good morning, ladies. How are you all this morning? Morning, Ray. Morning, Faye. Feeling morning. great. Thank you. That's good. And it's beautiful out there. It's looking it outside. is. Gorgeous. <laughs> well, I'm ringing about my passion fruit again. It's yes. dying. I can see the fence through it now. I did take some snaps, but I don't know how I don't know how to get them from my phone to the computer. Um, so, and the leaves on one side looks like it's got peach curl, so it's in a bad way. This passion fruit, right? So okay. About two years old. Mm. Uh, is it in a exposed position? Are you still there, Caroline? No. That's really okay. funny. She just dropped out. Mm. Okay. All right. So we'll have that's I have no idea what happened there. We just heard the she's coming back. Okay. So we'll just uh hold fire. Okay. Okay, well right. that's happening. Um I do have an uh, a community message to announce. The National Trust is seeking garden volunteers for the historic Sampson House in Fremantle. If you have a green thumb and love spending time in the garden, get along to their information session on Friday the 13th of August at Samson House. The session runs from 10am to 12 noon and you'll learn more about the National Trust and have a chance to explore the grounds of Samson House. Find out more and register via nationaltrust.org.au forward slash WA. And we have that email, sorry, we have that website address here for you if you'd like that uh, details again. nationaltrust.org.au forward slash WA. Okay, we have Caroline back. Not sure what happened, Caroline. Oh, I don't know. It just dropped out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I would probably like to see a photo, Caroline, to, mm. to diagnose the problem. Alternatively, you could take one to your local nursery I think it's important to have a look close up, inspect it for any signs of pest or disease. They do, they can sometimes get a virus. The, the other thing I would like to rule out is that it's not environmental or physiological. So due to weather conditions, when you say that it's lost its leaves and you can now see the fence, I do wonder if that's due to, to cold, rain and wind or if there is a bigger problem? I think there's a bigger problem because the branches that the leaves have fallen off are actually dead sticks. Right, okay. I can see see yep. these dead sticks in there. Um, there's one um, more thing I'd like you to look for, and yes. that is any swellings in the stems. Because oh, right, they, okay. there is a virus that cannot be rectified, and the stems become swollen. 
Oh, I haven't noticed any, but I'll, I'll have a good look mm. for that. The other thing is the things, I think because it's not been well, the fruit that's been falling off have little pock marks all over it, like something's tried to, like fruit fly or something has tried to get in. Okay. The other thing is um, photos of the fruit because sometimes oh, okay. there is evidence of, um, it, it looks like a mould where there is a, a spot that's discoloured mm. and it moves outwards, so spotted all over the fruit. So they're two things, the the swelling in the stem, yeah. evidence on the fruits and yeah. something on the leaves. Okay. Mm. All right. I'll um, try and get it. I thought maybe someone had touched the – because it's sort of like it's in the corner of the yard, so it's – goes to the house at the back and the house next door and I wondered if someone had touched it with some Roundup or something, the way it's dying. Okay, all right. It does sound like it needs more investigation. So photos or take it to a a local nursery. Also, the Ag Department, um, My Pest Guide Reporter app, they they deal with uh, pests and diseases and it might be also worthwhile letting them know whether you if you forward things to us I can forward that on your behalf and get it looked at by the pest and disease information service because there there could be a bigger problem it could be happening more across Perth and they'd like to know about it okay then yes all right thanks Caroline thank you good luck thank you thanks Ray um, I can remember I had a, a beautiful wisteria tree in the corner of the previous house where I lived and it was there when I when I bought the house and it was beautifully established and then the neighbours did a lot of renovation work in their yard and they definitely cut through. Obviously the roots went under the fence line, you know, it was mm. well established and I did end up losing it and, yes. which, you know, and I know, ha- I do know ha- now at the time I didn't realise what had happened, but mm. I, I, in hindsight, I realised exactly what had happened. Well, it's a case yeah. of uh, looking at yeah. the, the symptoms or the signs mm. that are evidence on the plant and working back, you know, mm. thinking about all the things. When did this happen? Did it happen suddenly? Has it been happening over a period of time? Mm. Um, I I have a passion fruit vine that I've been watching mm. that has more serious problems than what we've heard about recently, and, okay. and that is the swelling and the vine dying back. And this has been going on for a couple of years, so I initially put it down to to the cold, the frost mm. that we get in Jandicott, but I now know that it's a bigger problem and it's probably not worth persevering with this vine. It would be better to take it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Rosemary from Warwick wants to know when she should start feeding her roses. Now, I remember when we spoke to Rob from Melville's Roses, he said something about feeding roses when there's a second set of leaves, mm-hmm. new shoots mm-hmm. on, on the plant. So a lot of people would have prune back their roses yes uh, they would have hopefully taken off all of the leaves and picked up all of the leaves down on the ground to mm. reduce disease and now waiting for that that second uh, small amount of leaves to develop so that's the sign that the plants are on the go again mm. and they're ready for food yeah exactly okay actually we've got another passion fruit question we are in Mandra Maggie good morning hi Maggie oh, good morning. 
Good morning, ladies. Um, look, I was just listening to that. My, I'm wondering if it's a sunshine special because mine's the same. And the side of the... My one's about 30 foot along the fence, and on one end of it, you can, can see the fence between it, but the rest of it's all lovely. But that's the way the wind and rain came. Okay. And the cold, you know, the more that way. And it lost most of its leaves. But the passion fruits are still hanging, but she said something about those spotty looking marks on it. They're on some of mine as well, but only where it got the real cold. Up the other end where it gets more sun, mm. um, it, they're perfect. And when you cut them open, they fall off when they're ready. And I, I've already had 61 um, come on my vine. I've still, I can count another 40 there. And, they're, um, and what happens, I thought, oh, they probably aren't ready because they're almost, they're not as yellow as they usually are. But I just put them in a bag with bananas and a couple of days later they're yellow enough and I've cut them open and they are full of beautiful stuff. Oh. Fantastic, so, so Maggie. I don't think it's anything wrong with it. I think it's just the cold weather. I've put it down to that anyway because it's only one end of mine where the big rain came and the right. winds came from that area. Yeah. And and that um, certainly does make sense. And what, what I would also add to that now is that springtime is a good time when the weather warms up. And I'm not talking about now because I know we're going to get another cold and wet spell. Yeah. But you know, next month or thereabouts, we can trim back our passion fruit vines by, well, if you've got a very big one, I'd probably just take 10% off it. And that will encourage new growth and more flowers and fruits that will develop over the summer months. And that way you can cut out any of the dead, dying, diseased branches and stems and allow more airflow and then kick it along for the warm weather because they really like the warm weather. So it certainly could be a response to the cold. I'm sure it was. And yeah. uh, and I've already decided to cut it back in mm. September. So, um, yeah, but it's a healthy looking vine and the passion fruits are almost as big as avocados. They oh, use. wow. Gosh, you've done it right then, Maggie. Well done. No, it's a healthy vine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it looks sparse on one end and all bits of just like stems, you know. Mm. But other than that, it's a, it's, the passion fruits are still falling off when they're ripe enough. And I bring them in, put them in a bag with bananas, and they come out. There's nothing wrong with them. They're beautiful. Oh, great tip. Thanks for that, Maggie. Okay. Thank you so much, okay. ladies. Love you so. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Now, I too have a community service announcement, Ray, of a different kind. Okay. Last night, I received a phone call from Ron Ferguson, and you might remember we highlighted what he'd done last year, growing tulips. And he rang me to let me know that they are back in bloom, and they are viewable on the verge in Banjup. So if anyone would like a trip to see the tulips... Baronia Road, number 53 in Banja. And when will that be? When can they that's, go on? That's happening now. It's so happening they're, now. they're on the verge. You can drive down the Just road and past. have a look. Just drive past. Ron has hundreds, maybe thousands, I think it's fair to say, mm. in his backyard, which mm. is not visible from the street. Right. Okay. However, you and I, Ray will be privy to a private showing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the, joy, the joys of what we do. No, mm. that's fantastic. All right. So, um, yeah, we'll hand that address out uh, as we go along in the morning again for those that might be interested in just doing a little spot driving. 94841927. We will be back. Curtain Radio. 
22 minutes after 8, you are listening to Let's Talk Gardening. We are heading for a maximum today of 20. And hey, our rainfall for August is 11.4 mils. And I I think we might give that a shake in the next week (laughs) again. Okay. Now, Faye's been uh, prattling on about a song. And the song doesn't isn't in existence on any CD or certainly in our systems here at Curtain Radio. So it does sound rough. It's a great song with a great beat. It does sound a little rough because we had to extract it, if that's the right word, off YouTube. Uh, would you like to introduce it, Faye? Well, when I was in America some years ago, hung... Hunting fungi, I was down on my hands and knees with my backside sticking right up in the air taking photos and a gentleman came past and he started reciting this little poem, There's a Fungus Among Us. And I can't remember the rest. So I was Googling one day and stumbled across this song. And it is, well, it does have a bit of a rock and roll beat. It does. And it, it is a bit catchy and it's very timely because, as you know, with all those winter rains, the ground is erupting and fungi are bursting through. So, yes, the the name of the song is There's a Fungus Among Us. Okay, let's hope this works. <laughs> not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Do you have to press a button? I did. <laughs> oh, right. I know. We might come back to that. I might have to have a little bit of a play. You can see I don't play music very often. All right. Anyway, well, Also, what's happening uh, this weekend, a weekend at the movies, it's called, and it's a themed orchid show. It's put on by the Inter-Society Orchid Display and Workshop, well, the Southeastern Orchid Society of WA, and it has displays from Metropolitan and Country Orchid Societies. It's open to the public today and tomorrow. The Kelmscott Hall, River Road, Kelmscott is the location and it's on today from 9 o'clock to 4 o'clock and tomorrow from 9 till 3, themed a weekend at the movies. Gorgeous. So that should should be lovely to get along to. There'll be orchids for sale, uh, vendors selling various plants and inquiries are um, to Shannon 0413. Five three zero three six three. Okay, let me see if I can try this baby again. Can't get it to go, fair current. Oh, what a know. shame! I did have it going earlier this morning. I do apologise. I'm not sure what is wrong. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry about Moving that. Moving right along Move then. Along. Uh, now we received an email in this week from David and he has a problem with an olive tree. It's three metres tall in a 700 millimetre wide pot. It's developed a rot several years ago on the south side and so he's turned it to face north. It seems to dry out and then be stabilised. Two other olive trees are growing well in the same sort of pots and position but this one has had has similar growth except for the look on its trunk. It does look like it may have either been sunburnt or the bark has been damaged. Now, the interesting thing is that this can be regenerated. And this is something that I learned from Chris Oliver when he came out to do some pruning on my trees. I had an avocado that was in a pretty poor state. And of course, if, if the bark is damaged... 
Uh, it looks unsightly and our concern is that the goodness is not being transported to the top of the um, top of the leaves and fruits. So the good news is it can be renovated. Now what you would do is get a very sharp knife, just a small like a pocket knife, and you scrape down the edges of where that bark is damaged. And what that does Stimulates. is open it right. opens up the bark and trees are amazing. Mm. They have the ability to heal themselves. Mm. So when you scrape away that dead bark, it does stimulate the growth. And what will happen is that that collar that's broken on the tree will actually move around and move together. And close. It, it can close up over time. That's amazing. Just by stripping that bark back. You don't want to ring bark it. No. But just scraping down on both sides where those ridges are coming around and that will encourage it to to grow and to knit back together. And so would that be like a cut that would be like for the point of the knife down or do you do it on like the a, sideways? So like, like a peel. Like almost if it's not a very thick bark tree, you could use a potato peeler. Yeah. But you've got to be mm. able to get that ridge. You only need to to take away mm, less than a centimetre mm. and that will stimulate the bark to regrow. Mm. So good good news for people who are concerned about damaged Absolutely. bark on their plants. Nine four eight four one nine two seven. I've changed CD players. Let's try one more time. Okay. Otherwise, I give up. <gasps> Fingers crossed. Here we go. <laughs> I have no idea why it won't fire for me. I really don't. So I apologise to everyone. Don't know. Sorry. Okay. I tried. You did try, Ray. You I did am, try. I am technically challenged. Thank you for trying. Does Don say you're very trying? Eddie he, says he, that about he, me. He does. <laughs> yes. um, last... I'm a drama queen, apparently. Oh, that's not fair. No, no, I agree. Definitely oh. not fair. <laughs> <laughs> now, Cheryl rang in last weekend uh, after information about a greenhouse that she was creating. So I didn't want to give a definitive answer. Of course, you were on the mark with 30 to 50% shade cloth. Now, when we asked Cheryl why, what she was trying to achieve or, or what she would be growing in her greenhouse, she said she goes away for extended periods in the winter month. So she wanted a place where she could put plants and they would look after themselves. So there are factors determining what you would choose. Mm. There is colour, density, uh, and material. Mm. So I've I've done quite a list. Okay. Bear with me. I okay. know we've got a few minutes. Uh, material choices are knitted or woven and both are UV stabilised. So the woven is made of a polypropylene, which is heavier and will allow more heat build up in winter. A great windscreen, privacy screen or patio shade and solar protection. It can fray when cut and will unravel. Now, one of the keys in this was the heat will can build up in winter, which I think is a really good thing to maintain mm. temperature. However, the knitted is made from polyethylene, stretchy and flexible. So it's going to be easier to install than woven and will last longer. It is suitable for greenhouses and shade houses. So I actually think the knitted is probably the best. The density or percentage refers to the amount of sun that will not be 
pen will not penetrate or will be blocked. So 30 to 50% is recommended for vegetable growing. Uh, for fruiting plants, 30% because they would like more light. And darker leafy greens, 60%. So colour choices. White will reduce light but not the quality of the light spectrum and it lowers the temperature, which is not something we're looking at in this case. Black and green can absorb heat and protect from half, harmful rays and filter light. Blue is used for growing cucumbers oh. and red and black are good for lettuces. So then it sort of comes down to aesthetics. So can, black can disappear in the landscape and white and green can stand out. So I'm thinking that Cheryl would probably go for black or green, and I'm thinking black. John recently built a shade house, and he has used 50%. So that's all. That's good for your your majority of your plants. I also contacted Bruce Larson, who grows orchids, and he said that 50% uh, shade in summer is good for the orchids. Phalaenopsis and Cattleya's seventy percent for summer, uh, but but across the board, I think fifty percent black would be my choice for Cheryl on her greenhouse. Okay, well, that's good information, mm. and it's the, it's a it's something that a lot of people don't think about. Well, I've also um, come up with a little table that I googled: fifty percent shade in green color is suitable for nursery stock. Cabbage, peppers, lettuce, some orchid varieties, pot plants, geraniums, caladiums and irises. 75 to 80% in green, suitable for orchids, some ferns, large olive trees, protection barriers on buildings used as silt fencing, awnings, livestock shading and domestic shading. Mm. So, yeah, quite... Quite an interesting topic to okay. discover. No, thank you very much. We're You're in welcome. Fremantle. Tony, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Go ahead. Uh, I, I planted a purple tree approximately two years ago, two and a half years ago, and it's about one and a half to two metres high, and it, it grow, it's so healthy but not fruiting. And I notice everywhere around my area they're fruiting, and mine's not fruiting, and... Obviously, bought a dud. How do I tell a female to a male? I don't know. You know. Yes. Can yep. Good. Me? Good point. Oh, I tell you what. The pawpaws have a very interesting sex life, and <laughs> some of them can have both flowers on the one tree. But generally, it would be recommended that you plant maybe three trees. I would compare the flowers. So, has your pawpaw flowered at all, Tony? Yeah, it's flowering now, but everywhere I go, this is the second time I've tried and, you know, uh, they tell me, they tell me, no, you don't need to, and then you speak to someone else, yes, you do need to, and this is definitely a female, and, but, you know, sometimes you waste two and a half years, don't you? Well, that's exactly right. Uh, you can do. I might get John to, to do a bit more uh, research on this and see what we can come up with. I would suggest that you you take a photo of the flowers and yes. if you have access to the internet, look at images on male and female flowers and see if you can tell what yours are. If your plant is only producing male flowers, then you're probably not going to get fruit on it. 
Uh, you could buy an established plant that's in flower and that then you could use your male plant, if that's the case, to, to pollinate it. Uh, sorry, sorry if I interrupted, but there is, there is a place that I can go to and definitely buy a female plant. I, I bought the, this is the second time I bought it through the markets on a Sunday and, and they all say, yeah, definitely fruit, definitely fruit and definitely uh, female, you know what I mean? But yeah. I do know, know. yes. You, you waste a lot of time sometimes, don't you? Well, you do, and, and often buying a, a mature plant, whether it be grafted or whatever, can be your best bet. We'll get John to have a look and see if he can find any female pawpaw plants around the place for you. <laughs> oh, I just, you know, uh, my partner is uh, Thai and they love their pawpaws and yeah. you know, it's been now two and a half, you know, like I said, you know, two and a half, three years and a beautiful plant, don't get me wrong, but no fruit. Mm, and I guess the other thing is the aspect where you've got your plant is it getting everything it needs? Is it big enough, healthy enough to produce fruit? Oh, it's beautiful plants. They're nice and green and healthy right in the middle of the uh, back garden in the sun and right around it. I just put garlic everywhere around it, you know what I mean? Mm, okay. Uh, but uh, no fruit. <laughs> but you've got the flowers, so that's a good start. So obviously the fruit would come after the flowers. So we... We just have to check on the pollination. So okay, let's determine yeah. what you've got. Uh, are you able to send us a photo? Uh, I'll try. If if you can send the photo to gardening. Gardening, yeah. Gardening at Curtin, C-U-R-T-I-N. U-R-T-I-N, yeah. F-M.com. You send me through a photo. I will try and ascertain whether you have a female or a male and see if we can find you a partner. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tony. It, it probably won't be till next week where I can get back to you on this. Uh, no problem. I've waited two and a half years, so I can wait another week. <laughs> uh -huh. Thanks, Tony. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. We need a matchmaking company for fruit trees. <laughs> We do. <laughs> We're in Banja. Mary, hi, how's it going? Very well. How is everybody? Oh, very good. So you're on the ball this morning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but beautiful weather like this and we've had heaps of rain. There's lots to do, isn't yes. there? Yes, there sure is. Um, I came from Mullumbimby and pawpaws were prolific. And Jay said rule of thumb was that the male flowers on the end of a stalk or a stem and the female flowers grew close to the trunk. And if you had a mixed tree, sometimes they had both flowers. Right, yes, okay. And we had we had pawpaws. When we left Mullabimbi, we had a tree that came in from a seed in the front, manicured garden, and there were 30 pawpaws that we left there on one tree. Oh, gosh. Wow. And we had mixed flowers on it. Mm. But one of the growers, well, one of the um, national president, he lived across the road from us. So, you know, yeah. He was an avocado and pawpaw and banana grower. Oh, well, you're in the right place. Thank you very much for that information, Mary.
That's okay. great. Okay, John. Thank you for the show. Thanks, You're welcome. Mary. Cheers, off. Okay. Bye. 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 And we've got more information actually coming through on the Paw Paw. James, good morning. Good morning. I'll just be listening to that, and the lady's giving you the right answer. The, oh. the males are on a long stem out the, towards the outside of the bush, and the females grow on this main stalk. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for yeah. your call, James. That's good yeah. to know. That's an easy yeah. way to tell. Oh, yeah, quite easy. Yeah, there's very distinct. The male one has a long stem and many, many small flowers on the outside of the bush. Or the tree. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you yeah. very much. And you're a, you're obviously a pawpaw grower yourself. I've got I've got them growing just across the road from your uh, Curtin University at the moment. But ah. I've been growing the hybrid one all the time now. Ah. A hybrid one. Yes, one tree has had male and female flowers on it. Right. And how did you buy that? I, did it? Um, did, did you grow it from seed or? No, I grow all mine from seed now. Um, okay. Unfortunately, the hybrid one, the pawpaws, you only get one with seeds in every now and again. Right. But the original plant I bought from a, um, well, another a company, gardening company. Yes. And that was a hybrid, and I've just kept the seeds off that ever since. Right. Okay. So you can buy a hybrid that has male and oh, yeah. female. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. And you yep. only want the one tree then. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Thanks, James. Yep. Thank no, you. no problem. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. And just if I could ask listeners when they do call in to make sure that their radio in the background is turned off because we, we're having a fair bit of relay there. Uh, okay, 94841927. After the break, uh, Dan Dowsett, a car Dan the B-Man, will be joining us. Curtain Radio. You're with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening. And as promised, Dan Dowsett has joined us. Good morning. I caught you out, didn't you? <laughs> How are you, ladies? We're Bye very well. good. Lovely to have you here. And you know you're back by popular demand. We had a lot of great feedback after your uh, last interview. Okay. Mm. Talking about why the drones got kicked out for eating too much. Oh, amongst other things. <laughs> a mine of information you are. Yes. Can I kick off by, I just want to send a great cheerio to a, a great beekeeping friend of mine down in uh, Preston Beach, Bill. Good morning, Bill. I hope you're having a good time. He tells me that the spring has arrived in Preston Beach because the queens are now laying eggs in right. the hive, which is wonderful. Um, just wanted to kick off this morning and talk about uh, various things to do with coming out of winter and into spring. But before I, knew, I do that, uh, on the news this morning, there was a huge article, story about the largest livestock movement in Australia is being done this spring. They're moving 277,000 beehives to Victoria to pollinate the almond crops. Wow. The biggest ever. Wow. So that's exciting. And where are they being moved from? From Queensland and New South Wales. To, okay, down yeah, to down Victoria. And, and did you say livestock? They, they, we it, call them livestock because, because it is livestock. They are live. Well, yeah. I, I just thought, why are you talking about cattle? Yeah, we're <laughs> bee farmers. So, okay, so it's livestock. Beef. Farmers, yeah, bee farmers, beef farmers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's all right. That's all right. We're, we're, you're allowed to understand all that. Now, the other thing, um, uh, Bill was telling me the other day too that he had little tiny ants uh, coming into his beehive and being a nuisance. So um, he picked up the old trick with uh, wormwood, Artemisia absinthia, mm -hmm. and he made a big drum of hot 
tea mm-hmm. using the uh, the leaves in the bucket, and uh, he's poured that all around the edge of the beehive and the ants of left town. So right, good, isn't, isn't that good? Eh? Yeah, they hate they hate that smell of the artemisia. Well, the that's wormwood. ants in general. Just don't ants like ants in artemisia. general too. They don't like it. No, you can well, pour it on you. You can pour it on your. Um, Brick paving in the old leave town. Yeah. Ah, well, artemisia or wormwood is a wonderful plant to just break off and drop in the bottom of your chicken pens yes. because yeah. it helps ward off the stick in the net In the fleas. nest of the chickens, yeah. yeah but right. also talking about ants, this week the, the flying ants have started yeah. emerging. So these are the alates that are called and the winged queens come out as do the males, and their sole purpose is to find a mate. And then the queens, once they're mated, uh, chew their leaves, uh, chew their wings off, and off they go to start their nests. Mm. Amazing. Okay. Alrighty. So um, the other thing that um, where Bill lives down in Preston Beach, he lives, I guess, uh, about a half a kilometre back from the from the ocean. And what, what actually happens down there too is, and along the coast, all the beekeepers who live on the coast, when the salty air breezes puff through and the air mixes with the nectar in the top of the flower, you get a salt content in the nectar. Mm. Now the bees consume that and turn it into honey by taking it back to the hive and putting it through the stomach of 40 different bees and then storing it. So you end up with salted caramel. Oh, no way. Yes. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? It is. And every time Bill offers me a jar of his honey, I always say, yes, Yes, please. please. (laughs) Yeah, so there you go, girls. Um, If I get some, I'll bring some next time. Oh, Oh, please do. Yes. Okay. Uh, Another thing I've been reading about is uh, all the story about Manuka honey Mm. uh, around the world. And and there's a bit of a controversy about the word and all that sort of stuff. In New Zealand, God bless them, they've got uh, a big problem with varroa mites in their hives. This is a little insect like a mite that sucks the blood out of the bee and eventually introduces... um, pathogens that kill the bees. So they have to hang these chemical strips in the hives and use various chemicals to stop the mites from getting too much out of control. Unfortunately, those chemicals are now being found residually in the honey. So the manuka honey is in trouble for that reason, because Mm. of the chemical residues. Western Australia and in the other states of Australia, we have manuka plants. We don't use chemicals in our hives, so our honey is kind of cleaner than theirs. So I think they've got a big issue. Well, is it marketing that's put the New Zealand manuka honey it on was the marketing, map? Pure marketing, like we marketed Jarrah in WA, and okay. that became you know the thirty-five dollar a kilo marketing thing. If you buy honey from any beekeeper in WA mm. that's garden honey, it's as good as any honey in the world. Oh, or better? Because it's clean. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Now, manuka, am I correct in thinking that comes from the tea tree? The tea tree plant, yep. yes, yes. And there are various varieties of tea tree plants. Yeah. Does it matter what variety it is to be called manuka? Or I, is I that... think there's a specific name. It's longer than my my name, so it's. I know it's difficult to pronounce, you know. Yeah, okay. it's, John, it's... John, are you listening? Manuka, <laughs> can you find us the tea tree the that's tea tree specific? That goes 
Yeah, it's a very long name anyway. Mm. It's like saying the bees produce milk from their throat from the hypopharyngeal gland. It's a big Mm. long word as well. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So 94841927, Dan the Bee Man with us and uh, also taking all your gardening queries as well, of course. Okay. We'll keep going and we'll talk about beekeeping just for the minute. Um, We've noticed along the roadsides the cape weeds just starting to flower. Now, this Mm. is always the first signal for springtime for us. Mm. It means we have to, we've left the bees alone for the winter. Now we come back and we do an inspection to find out how they're doing. And we are hoping that we can see after those two lovely sunny days, we might see the first egg laying cycle of the queen in the box. And that signals to us that spring is finally kicking off, which is great. Now, the problem we've had this year is too much rain. We've oh. had lots and lots of rain and very, very cold nights. So when we when we set the bees aside to begin their winter mode and we don't bother them during winter, we did not anticipate having such a wet winter and a cold winter. Now, every beekeeper leaves behind in the hive pollen and honey for the bees to consume in the cold nights, okay? So we're hoping that the bees will come through. When the spring arrives, they can make and collect more honey, etc. But this year it's been so cold and so rainy that a lot of the bees may not make it. They may not make it because of the cold weather. Now, when the hot, when the warm days arrive, we're hoping that the, the nectar will come up through the plant and be produced by the flower, and the bees will come to the flower, collect the nectar, turn it into honey, and life goes on. But because it's been so cold and so rainy, the nectar will be very slow to come up into the flowers. Mm. So what we're hoping for may not actually happen. Last year, we had a terrible year. We had strange weather patterns, and we only got one-third of the honey that we normally get. So this year, if the spring arrives correctly and the flowers uh, and the plants get enough warmth in the springtime, we are hoping for a bumper crop, the reverse of what we had last year. So what is the turnaround time if we've lost a lot of bees because of the cold? How long does it take for the queen to lay her eggs and for the new bees to come up in the ranks? Okay, let's assume that... uh, it's been too cold for a certain hive and it dies out. And the reason that it dies out is that inside the hive, <clears throat> if the queen is unable to lay her eggs because it's too cold, or chill anyway, all the bees begin to age. And as they begin to age, they can't produce milk. And when they can't produce milk, they can't feed the babies. They can't feed the larva. Mm. So <clears throat> it's only the young bees that produce the milk and they are able to feed the young larva. If that doesn't happen, then the the queen will not be able to be sustained either, and you'll find the whole thing will just fail. Mm. If the queen has been able to uh, be given food from the stores and lay a small patch of eggs now and again to produce young bees that can produce bee milk, then the hive will continue through the winter. But there will be a certain portion of them that won't make it. Mm, and okay. so when you have a good strong hive like Bill's down in uh, Preston Beach, 
we're able to then take a frame of the, those eggs and put it into a new bee box and produce a new queen from that very, very quickly. And within 25 days, we've got an up and running queen. So it's not a total failure for a beekeeper. It's just sometimes you lose the odd hive. Mm. Now, this process is called spring dwindle. Ah. Yeah. Spring dwindle. We, I think I wrote the notes for you about yes, that. Yes, you did. <clears throat> and the spring dwindle is a serious problem because if we go forward from today and we say, oh, well, spring is just around the corner mm. and we get another eight weeks of intermittent cold and rainy weather, we're going to lose a few more hives probably. But the strongest hives will survive and they'll still be able to be used over and over and over. Yep. Okay. All right, we do have to have a short break. Um, yeah, 94841927. We'll be back shortly. Curtain Radio. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening. Special guest in the studio this morning, Dan the Bee Man. You're the president of the Apris Society? No. You're I'm not? Former president. Former president. Mm. And okay. treasurer. And treasurer. And secretary. Still or former? No, all former. So you passed all that on? You've passed and now the baton? I'm a, a life member. Aha, uh-huh. okay. But still actively involved. Oh, absolutely. Of course. Okay. And yeah, all right. Carry on, you two. I am interested, Dan, in in flowers that provide nectar and when they talk about a honey being a Jarrah honey or a Banksia honey, like how do you know that the bees are only going exactly. to those flowers? Because I've got all these different flowers in my garden. And I see bees on on everything. Yeah. Very simple explanation for you. If we take the bees, for example, to Pemberton to the Jarrah Forest, and the the Jarrah trees are obviously flowering and budding up and flowering, uh, predominantly then the bees love that particular flower, so they go for it. But they've got to fly up to it. However, underneath there's the understory plants of various types, and within the mix of their collection, they're going to bring in some of the understory. No question about it. So you may have, you know, say 5%, 95 Jarrah. And um, so it's the same wherever you go. In the garden, you've got lemon trees, orange trees, mm. the citrus range, limes. And then you've got uh, weeping bottle brush and rosemary, lavender, roses, all kinds of things. So you get a garden honey. And garden honey is gorgeous. But if... Uh, a paperbark tree starts to flower in the street. Where do they want to be? They want to be over oh. there. So what I've sort of taken to doing is I, I'm checking my beehive in the spring and summer every two weeks. And when I see it kind of filling up with garden honey, I pull that off, knowing the trees come out. So I let them fill up the whole box with the paperbark. Okay, And the same with uh, uh, the commercial beekeepers when they go out for the red gum or the white gum or the mary or whatever they want to go to. They, they're aware that they've got to go at that time when everything is just blazing and the bees prefer a particular style. And they know it's kind of really nutritious and they know they can raise queens with it and the queens will be you know, pumping and laying thousands of eggs every day because they're using this lovely eucalyptus. Mm. Now, the wattles, am I correct in thinking that they are not a nectar-rich plant, but they're full of pollen? Full of pollen. We love getting the pollen. And they can feed feed the babies and the the 
the bees with the pollen because it's very strong and, and so on. And um, again, pollen, various pollens have various strengths of protein. And um, uh, pollen contains about, I think, 20% protein and all the rest is other goodies, phytonutrients and phenol, polyphenols and all that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, um, the European plants, they say, have a higher value of protein than the Australian ones. For what reason, I don't know, but it's still mm -hmm. beneficial. So protein from the pollen for a bee is like beef steak to a human, um, whereas sugar is the carbohydrate to keep our motor running. Okay. Yep. Thank you. Now, we've got a call. If I can get you to perhaps be fairly succinct on this one, because I've got to go to the news at nine. We're in Bell Divers. Harold, good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Good, thank you. I'm just uh, interested uh, in the ant solution around hives and in the pavers uh, in general. I just missed the uh, name of the product to get rid of them. It's called Wormwood. You can get them from any good garden centre. The um, Latin name is Absinthia, uh, sorry, Artemisia Absinthia. Right. It's a silver plant. It has a pretty yellow flower in the springtime, and it, it grows like a weed. And once you get right. it started, it'll just keep going in your garden. Don't plant it next to your favourite plant. It'll kill it. But no. it is dynamite on getting rid of ants. You can put the make a tea and then put that cold tea all over the ground, and the ants will move town. And for, for people who've got chickens, it's good planted in the chicken pen with a wire barrier around it, yes. so the chooks yeah. can help themselves That's without right. killing the plant. Or they, or they, you can place the artemisia right into the chicken yeah. nest, and that'll keep the keep the ticks and things away. Oh, right, because that is another problem. Uh, like we, where we come from the country, and we, we did, and uh, we used to have the the dogs in the, in their pens in their yards, and the ants were always a problem in there as well. Yes, well, there's your solution. That's fair. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that immensely. No worries. Hey, thanks, Harold. Thank you. Cheers for thank that. You. And Faye, you brought in a gorgeous bucket of flowers. I did. I did. And look, look what's coming this week, right? Pink butter jasmine. Ah, that is just buds. delightful. Yeah. And yeah. and when that bursts open, we will have Smell. the scent oh. filling the yard. Yeah. It's just yeah, it's it's so pretty. And some of the bromeliads yes, are flowering. They are. We've got the rice flower, Very which pretty. is just a, a great filler in a vase uh, and an insect magnet. Uh, the variegated hibiscus is, pretty. is looking pretty. The strelitzia, and I haven't as yet got to the bottom of the problem with the brown spots on it, but I will endeavour to do that. For the and, last week, yeah. Yep. And also the, uh, the bottle brush. Uh, spot flowering, and this spot is a, another spot flowering yes. just starting already. Yes. Yeah, wow! Yeah. The wattles are out. Mm. Uh, what else is happening this week? Conostylus are bursting. The mm. thryptamine are full of flowers. Some of the gums have burst their Butting blossoms, yep. mm -hmm. and you you can hear when the bees are happy oh. with them. The tree is just buzzing, buzzing away. So listen yeah. out for that noise. I've seen that blue rosemary flower in a lot of oh, people's yeah. gardens. It's very, it's and very the much. The bees love that. Yes, stuff. Mm. Love it. yes, yeah. exactly. Okay, time for the nine o'clock news. Back shortly. 
16.7 in Perth right now, heading for a maximum of 20. There are a few showers developing. Overnight, the minimum will be 11. The maximum tomorrow will be 20 showers. And on Monday, the minimum will be 12, maximum 18. And showers can expect on Monday 10 to 15 mils of rain. Okay, now we were talking earlier about a book that we are going to be speaking to the author about. It's called Future Steading, Live Like Tomorrow Matters. We have Jade Miles online with us. Jade, good morning. You're with Ray and Faye and Dan in the studio. How are you? Good morning. How are you all? We're, we're going well, Jade. It's lovely to talk to you today. I When I received this book in the mail, I was just telling Ray and Dan I read the first few pages and tears just welled up in my eyes. I was a little bit overwhelmed at the thought that we could perhaps turn back the clock a bit to when we were children and reinstill some of those values of living a simpler life and making the most of what we've got, harvesting and preserving and, and crafting in our own backyards. And you've written a book all about this. Um, tell us... How, how this came about? Uh, well, I, I've really just written a book about how we live our life. And mm-hmm. as you say, it was it's largely been spurred on by how my childhood was. And so I have just continued that into adulthood. But I've been lucky enough to have a husband who shares lots of those skills and lots of those ideals with me. So in terms of framing what our enough looked like in life, mm-hmm. we were pretty well on the same page. But... Um, as we've taken, we've upscaled our homesteading to farming, we have opened our farm gate doors to pick your own and to workshops and events. And all of the workshops and events have been pulling people from all over the state and people would say all the time, this is amazing, it's so good to have these skills shared and I now feel empowered by it but I don't know how I could live like you, I wish I could but I don't have land. Yeah. And it made me realise that... Um, Having land actually isn't the only way people can live like tomorrow matters. And so I started the the podcast where we're interviewing people who are doing amazing things no matter where they're living and how they're living, whether it be in a rental apartment in the city or whether it be on a, be on a couple of acres in the country or on lots and lots of acres on, on more space. I really was really keen to make sure that what I set up was a, a paradigm that, or a lens that people could look through and it be really accessible and not overwhelming. I know you said that the start of it overwhelmed you, but um, I imagine that's because at the beginning I talk about the fires and my husband is a firefighter, so he was out in amongst it and it's been a really big part of our life for a really long time and the fires were really what spurred me to take the workshops forward to a... Um, a podcast series and then the podcast forward to a book so that it was written down and people had these tangible skills that they could refer to. And so today you're actually talking to us from Black Barn Farm in Victoria and you're in lockdown again, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I am. And I'm laughing, but I have to say that's because um, I've been really good at coping with all of the other lockdowns prior to now. We just have put our head down. But this one has actually thrown me for a bit of a six because, um, oh, lots of little things. You know, my gran, who's 90, met a new friend only a week ago at the bakery and they had arranged to meet each other for a, a cup of coffee down the street this week and it's the first friend she's made in a really long time and the first friend since my granddad died and 
Oh, mm. it's just those little teeny tiny things. The kids can't play soccer and they haven't now really for 18 months. And yeah, grabs your I've heart. I've got a book tour. Mm. Oh, it does. I've got a mm. book tour that I'm rearranging. So, yeah, look, I feel for everyone who's in lockdown in the country at the moment. I know you guys aren't. And I also know you guys are enjoying 20-degree temperatures. I just heard the weather forecast. Oh, yeah. That, that three, is three set. Three degrees here. That's heaven. <laughs> it's set to change. On the upside of being locked out, I mean, Ray and I would admit that we actually don't mind a lockdown now and then, you know, permission to stay <laughs> a, home and Get a few things play. done. <laughs> mm. And, and mm. in this day and age, we are so blessed that we, we're connected uh, through phone systems and email and Zoom yeah. and Facebook Live. Like, you, you're not really on your own, are you? Um, yeah, look... <laughs> Maybe. I mean, we're now into our sixth and there's months and months of those that have, have gone before it. Yes. And so uh, Zoom, it's amazing. You can pick the phone up and you can connect with people, but it's not that deep, tactile, sensorial connection where you share a piece of cake and you share mm-hmm. the, the smell of tea brewing and you hug yeah. at the end. And so it's just not mm. quite the same. And those rituals that... Um, aren't solo, which I know is a big part of people's winters because people bunker down more in winter, but it's those rituals and those those maybe even unplanned things. You know, you bump into someone in the street or you um, you spontaneously yes. or accidentally cook up an experience with someone that wasn't quite planned. It's that stuff that feels like it's it's hard to grapple with at the moment. So the things that I'm doing are the really stabilising, reassuring things that I can control and that feel uh, really systemised. So I start every day with a walk in the bush because it completely reconnects me to something that's bigger than me and I can smell. It's really sensorial, so I can smell and see and feel and taste and touch things that I wouldn't if I'd stayed in the house. And I always... um, I always start with a pot of tea and I've got a whole lot of pots, too many according to my husband, but I've got about 20 <laughs> different pots. And so I've also got lots of handmade cups and so oh, the gorgeous. Pot and the tea variety mm. and the cup that I choose completely reframes my whole day and it gives me 20 minutes just to assess what I want from the day. So it's and, that stuff that we're all grabbing hold of. And I bet you have a range of different teas that you pick from the garden and make up with herbs. That's right. Yeah, actually, there's a whole section of that in the book. It's um, a massive part of our life. So just about everything I grow gets experimented with. Quite a few of them don't work, but lots of them do. And we've just, if it's not the season for fresh picking, then I dry loads and loads and loads of it. And I've got lots of jars of freshly dried herbs. And you've, in the book, talked about preserving and dehydrating even grafting? Uh, yeah, so we, we're an apple orchard. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're an apple orchard, so we have a really big grafting season every year. Every The last week of August until about the first two or three weeks of September, which would be a bit late for you guys because you guys are warmer than we are. We're subalpine here. Um, we do about 1,500 trees every year <clears throat> of apples, pears, cherries, quinces, Um and, you know, even in our apples, we've got 100 different varieties of apple on our farm here. And then we post. I don't think we can post a WA, but we post all of our trees all over the country. 
mm-hmm. um, in well actually today is supposed to be our tree collection day we've got a thousand trees out sitting in sawdust waiting to be collected by all the, the people who've pre-ordered them and they mm-hmm. can't come and collect them yeah. so we are this afternoon ba- barreling them all into the back of the car and trundling around the countryside at least to those who are close enough to be hand delivered mm-hmm. mm, wonderful so it's <clears throat> it's a comprehensive book and of course, you couldn't have written something like this without you. You'd done the mileage. How long have you been on this path? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yeah, that's right. As I said earlier, I have been living this all of my life, really. And all I've done is jot down some of the things that are probably um, the most easily explained. But I've broken it down into ritual, feast, grow, create and nourish and they are the different sort of sections that I think are really important that we give consciousness to and consideration to and yeah there's nothing in the book that we don't do ourselves but I'll be really clear in saying that we don't do all of it all of the time because you just couldn't um, manage that but yeah we definitely have we've lived like it forever but we have certainly stepped it up since having kids 15 years ago and then again since moving to the farm that we're on now uh, six years ago. And do your kids embrace it as well, Jane? Yeah, there's nothing. In fact, they're all out there at the moment um, cutting wood. And so actually the little one's not. She's here making bread. Um, they do. They have no choice to really because it's the way we live. But, you yeah. know, like every kid they're also living in the world that they're in and they're really open and easily influenced by the world that's around them and Mm. our boys have just bought themselves a phone they managed to make it to nearly 15 without one but they've just got one and they're just (laughs) discovering what that world looks like so we'll Mm. have to navigate that like every other parent um but they do and and they embrace the little things so you know we set our dinner table every night with something that the kids have collected from outside so it brings a bit of the season that's bigger than us and evolving the patterns that we're living by from out there into our dinner table and we always acknowledge what has worked or hasn't worked today and we have those discussions around the table and um there is not a bit of the farm that they can't participate in. They know how to seed save and they know how to graft and they know why mulching is valuable and they know what mycorrhizal fungi is. And, and so they push back. The little one doesn't. She's only 10 and she still thinks that it's all amazing. The, the bigger two are twins. They're nearly 15 and they, you know, they're certainly starting to challenge it. And I, I would encourage that. I, I want them to challenge it so that they, they get the rationale explained to them and if not, they can form their own opinions. Find their own paths as well. Yeah, no, there's, I appreciate that. Yeah. There's also yeah. a pollination chart in here about all the different plants. And with us here today, we've got Dan the bee man. So his interest, as you can gather, is beekeeping and honey. Um, yeah. So that that's so important. I love that you've Jay, got, do, do got you a, have a, a beekeeper that comes to your farm and pollinate all the uh, no, friends. we have our own bees. We have our Your own, own bees. bees. Yeah, not mentioned in the book, I can see. No. Oh, oh you I left, talked, the, left the most important have, part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have talked about um, uh, buzzing bees as a section, buzzy bees oh, and okay. hives, I think I've talked about. Yeah, we, we have our own, and because we're in a really cold climate, we don't do a lot of honey harvesting. We have them purely for pollination right. purposes. Yep. Um, we take a little tiny bit. Actually, we take as much as we need as a family, but that's actually not that 
much, um, even though we use it as a predominant sweetener. We and it's really, really dark. It's almost the colour of molasses, mm. and so you don't need very much of it because it's particularly strong. But do you know what flower really that that might be from the um, the dark? Look, we're we're assuming it would be. We do have um, quite a few gums around us, but we are are assuming that it would would largely be from our inter inter row pollinators that we've got, and that's things like um, comfrey and borage and um, clovers, uh, ro- rosemary, and yeah, we have a lot of clovers. Okay. Yep, Good. we in fact we interrow crop with with clovers. Wow. Yeah, so it's sounds very yeah, exciting. Yeah, we take probably ten liters a year, and we could. That means we don't ever have to have to feed them over winter. Our winters are about seven months long, wow. and so ah. there's not a lot for them to eat mm. for a big block of time. So we leave all of their. Uh, have capped so that they can feed themselves. That yeah. makes a lot of sense, yes. Well, mm. Jade, we'll, we will have to leave uh, you there. Uh, it's it's a holistic approach to life. It's somehow there's a spirituality about it that I feel when, when you're talking to us. Uh, it's a, a magnificent book and it's a gorgeous coffee table book as well. It's a very big book. Um, yeah, we encourage people to to have a look for it. Uh, future steading, live like tomorrow matters. And when when was the book released? Tuesday, just gone. <laughs> there you, you go. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> just in time for lockdown. <laughs> yeah, ha- happy days. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, Jade. It's magnificent. It is. Thank yeah. you, and thank you for your time Thanks this morning. So much. All right, we'll thank let you, you. get Enjoy back it. to it. Take care. Thanks. Take care. Cheers. For Bye. That. Bye. And like we said, we will be giving that book away. Nine four eight four one nine two seven. And now Dorothy phoned in from Mundaring. Uh, can you grow wormwood in a pot? Yes, yeah. easy. Better to contain it that way because you're saying it grows like a it, weed. It's best if you grow it to start with easily, and keep it wet while it's starting off, and then put it in the ground. I, I plant mine right alongside the beehive because mm. it, it it has a good purpose there. But, um, yeah, it, it's very tough, and it has a gorgeous, strong smell that um, yes, it endures. Does. Yes. Mm. It's, it's got lovely, soft, feathery new tips, and Green. we have one that was there when we arrived 20 years ago, and the blue wrens were nesting in it. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes, they, do. Yeah. they do. I've got some planted in my garden. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a lovely silvery grey. Mm. Yeah, no, very, very pretty. But I wouldn't like it to get too much out of hand. Exactly. They that's, that's trim very easily. You can prune it very exactly. hard and it goes right. It comes yeah, screaming bounces back, back again. Yeah. Okay, short break. And when we return, we'll be chatting with Joy from Byford. Curtain Radio. And straight back out to the lines you are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. We're in Byford. Joy, good morning. Good morning, all. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Joy. Um, Talk about no fruit. I'm thinking no flowers. Ah. (laughs) Um, I'm a bit concerned about my roses. They've made a lovely lot of growth, but there's no flowers. Is it a bit soon or am I being impatient? It is a bit soon, Joy. Um, When did you prune them? I pruned them early and I wondered yeah. if that was the problem. I pruned them in June because yeah. they needed it. No, and that's fine. And you will, I expect, get a spring flush, but it's going to depend on our weather. So we've yes. had we've had such a cold, wet time 
and your roses would just be hanging in there. They're waiting for the warmth. They'll start to put on some leaves and new growth. You could, I imagine they've got a few, uh, quite a few leaves. Yes, they've got a yep. lot of growth on them and okay. they're looking healthy, but I thought it might have been the weather. Yeah. Yep. So I would add some slow-release fertiliser and or blood and bone and something with potassium or in yeah, if you're using a slow release, something that's got potassium that's designed for flowering and fruiting plants or specifically for roses. Okay, I've I've given them such a lot of fertilizer. I've given them the rose fertilizer and I've there's a lot of sheep manure on the on the in the ground as well. So I'm a bit frightened to give them any more. Well, what was the fertilizer that you gave them? It was the um, it was a rose fertilizer specifically for roses. Is it? And I've con- also given them black magic. Okay. So if you gave them a controlled or slow release fertilizer, some of those fertilizers will uh, stay in the soil, and yep. they will be released at certain temperatures. So they okay. release slowly. So you don't need to give them more. If it is a fertilizer that just washes away. Uh, and you did it at a time where the roses are not growing and we had all the rain, then it potentially could be washed away. Okay. It was um, a granules because I, the granules I could see still on the top of the ground. So I've just sort of moved that around a little right. bit. Just have a look at the instructions on the packet and see what it says. Sometimes they'll say reapply every six weeks. Okay. And that will give you bigger blooms and more blooms. Uh, when they have their flushes. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Thanks Joy. Joy. Bye. Bye. And let's go to Corrine. Say hello to Leanne. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm wondering, uh, I have some bearded irises, but I'm not getting any um, stalks on them. I've had my first flower come up for the season and it barely gets out of the leaf, the sheath of the leaf. Mm, and, too cold. Um, too, irises generally like the cold. That's what I was sort of thinking. It would be a good year for them with all the cold we've had. Well, and, and also maybe some food. Yeah. Because uh, clivias will do the same thing. They'll have short stems if they don't yeah. get get, get the, the encouragement yep. Yep. to grow a bit. Uh, have you given them any fertiliser at all? Well, I haven't given it. But most of the time, anything I read with the irises, it says gives them superphosphate. But what it, what is superphosphate as far as I've heard of it for farmers, but not as mm. a garden? Well, I, I would, as a general rule, flowering and fruiting plants give a fertilizer that's got more potassium in it so NPK, NPK is one of them uh, there's yes. there's quite a range of different things and the thing about a controlled release fertilizer some of them will will last three to six months so if yes. you yes. throw that around then you've at least done something yeah and, and I know they like lime but I'm not sure whether a lack of lime would that cause no stems I if, don't if... really think think so I know yeah like Dan says it's possibly a combination of the cold weather mm. uh, and 
Yes, maybe depending on the location they're in. Are, I think are they getting slow to get sun? out of the ground because the ground is cold, and yes, I, th- I think yes. that they're still in a winter winter format. And oh, that some of them are just popping their heads up and producing mm-hmm. the odd little bit. But I think once yes. the once the weather changes to a full spring mode and the ground warms yes. up, you'll find they'll have stalks. Oh, good, good. I'll look forward to that, and then I'll I'll try giving them some MPK or something that will. Uh, Try and boost them along. Good idea. Thank you. Thanks, Leanne. Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay. Actually, I have a $75 gift voucher to give away from the fabulous Bigger Trees. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You sound excited, Dan. I've been up there. It's a wonderful place. It's it's immaculate, isn't it? It's just the most beautifully presented uh, family-run nursery. Uh, Okay, now here is your question. Uh, This is from John, and it's not too difficult. What is the common name for the parasitic weed bearing some resemblance to asparagus? What is the common name for the parasitic weed bearing some resemblance to asparagus? Now, you must be a Curtin FM member not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. Now, we can also give you a little tip. We can give you the scientific name, Orobanshi Minor, but we are after the common name, okay? So give uh, Cheryl a call on 94841927 with to seven with the answer and we will be sending you a $75 gift voucher to go and have yourself a big splurge up at Bigger Trees. Compliments of Kerry, of course. Thank you. All good? Okay. Good. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's head to Queen's Park. Karen, good morning. Good morning, ladies. Um, I have got a problem with my bohemia. Um, it, last year, I cut it back very hard and I think I shouldn't have done that and it doesn't want to recover. It look, I think I sent you some photographs already once, and I, it just doesn't want to grow anymore. It is just dwindling away. Now I wonder, shall I give it some fertilizer? I really don't know what to do. It well, looks very sick, very, very sick. Yes. It's very small. It took over so much. That's why I really, really trimmed it hard, because it took over the whole neighborhood. It, and, uh, it, it, it's it's <laughs> yeah, probably sorry. in shock, Karen, and it's probably not going to come good until springtime. When the weather warms up, that's what it needs. I wouldn't fertilise it now. A plant that is stressed shouldn't be fertilised. So uh, it has it it has some leaves uh, at the very bottom. It looks like a bush. It's not a real tree. It's, it has got branches uh, um, in in all directions, and and some of them are really dead. It looks pretty dead. Shall I cut them back? I don't uh-huh. really dare to do anything anymore. I, I, I just talk to it. And <laughs> I know. Say, but uh, Karen, I don't know what to do? Yeah. I- I think you just need to wait. The fact that it's got some new shoots at the bottom is a good sign. What you could do is give it some mulch so its roots are protected. Uh, Give it something like seaweed, uh, some rock minerals, anything that's really slow release and will be gentle and won't stress the plant. And I'm pretty sure that when, when it really kicks off, when the weather warms up, at that point, that is when I would cut it back. When it can seal its wounds, wounds at the moment, mm-hmm. there's still too much moisture around and it's cool. So it's a tropical plant. Yes. It wants the warmth. It don't does. Don't push it over the edge by doing anything too much to it now. 
Okay, then I won't. You're okay. right. All right. <laughs> okay, and, a, and a quick a quick question. Uh, do um, apple trees, do I have to uh, trim that back or not, apple tree? I pulled all the leaves down because I had so many cat, um, uh, uh, grasshoppers sitting everywhere, so I had to find the grasshoppers, which I did. Uh, okay. And now I wonder whether I should uh, trim it. Is yes. it necessary for an apple tree to trim it or not, or is it now the right time? Uh, yes, you could trim it back now. And is it pushing out buds, flower buds? Oh, yes, yes, yes. There's okay. plenty of them. All right. So, yes, you you could do it now. And the beauty of doing it when you've got the buds is you can see where the fruit is likely to develop. And mm-hmm. with it having no leaves, you can get a good idea of what's happening. Cut out anything that's dead, dying or diseased or really thin and spindly. Give it a tidy up. And bring it down to the size that is manageable for you. So just cut it above above the buds. I mean, there are yes. plenty of buds all over. So I, yes. But some some uh, branches look really straggly. So I have to I have to. It's not very big, but I still want to keep it uh, yep. contained so I can reach the apples. If you cut out the straggly branches, then the goodness will go into the rest of the plant, and you'll get bigger, better apples. Okay, so I, I, I cut it just above the buds? Yes. Okay, okay, great. Okay, good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good luck, Karen. Thank you. Cheers for <laughs> okay, that. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Lots of patience required at the moment, isn't there? <laughs> yes, there is. And uh, I just noticed that there was a query about uh, the weekend at the movies, which is a themed orchid show on this weekend. And it's at the Kelmscott Hall, uh, River Road, Kelmscott. The Kelmscott Hall, River Road, Kelmscott, uh, open today and tomorrow, 9am to 4pm today and 9am to 3pm tomorrow. That's the South... Eastern Orchid Society of WA displays by Metropolitan and Country Orchid Societies. Okay, carry on. Right, Dan, what else have you got on your list for us today? Well, uh, there are no more questions. Well, there's I uh, think no they're... more listeners on the board. <laughs> and I don't know if we have a winner yet to our little competition. Uh, so we'll wait and see whether or not... Oh, actually, yes, we do. Uh Poor Cheryl out there. I can see that she's under the pump. Cheryl from Oakfield is the winner of the Bigotry $75 gift voucher. Thanks for playing with us, Cheryl. The question was, what is the common name for the parasitic weed bearing some resemblance to asparagus? Now, the answer, so um, it's a rotten thing, broom rate. Mm, okay, it is. it's a pest. It's a, it's a rotten thing. Okay, but um, I believe it's still not classified as a... Uh, noxious weed or something. I was reading, John does all of his research, which surprises me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Who who knows? Who Maybe knows? it's not a, a pest in, in the areas that are managed and controlled, like bushland or crops. Mm. Mm. Do you get it over your way? I do, and mm. it comes up in sand. It mm. comes up in my gardens. Mm. It's mm. just, I I think it came in in sheep manure. Some oh, yeah, years yeah, ago, yeah, yeah. and of course, then the nasturtiums are all through my gardens, yeah. um, which act as a fantastic living mulch. If I've got nasturtiums growing, I don't have um, the the weeds coming up. But the broom rake goes after the nasturtiums. Yes, doesn't it? yeah, that's yes. the problem. Okay, all right. Okay, now I will let you carry on. Yep, let's do that. <laughs> Um, I was just going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, beekeeping after the, when the spring arrives mm. so for the, the young beekeepers out there. 
When you're opening your hive in the spring to look at what's happening, you may find that some of the frames have gone mouldy. It's not a disaster, it can be fixed. So all you need to do is remove those frames from the hive, take them back to the house and replace them with fresh ones. Now, if the weather continues to be cold and rainy and uh, difficult, uh, beyond September, you're probably going to see even more mouldy frames because the condensation from the, bree the bees breathing out creates this humid atmosphere in the hive which creates in its own way a mould. Now, uh, what we can do with the mouldy frames, very, very simply, is to let them dry out, put them in a nice warm space and let them dry out completely uh, crackle dry. And then uh, when the warmer weather comes, say, uh, early October, you can put the frames back into the hive collectively in a, in a box and the bees will polish those frames and get rid of all the mould and reuse the frames. Mm. So it's a good thing to be able to do. If you're worried about the condition of your frame, that it's dark from previous use and mouldy, I would cut it all out with a sharp serrated knife following the wires on the frames. Get rid of all those and reset with a fresh piece of foundation in the frame. Now that's the, the quickest solution. If you're still worried about it, you can use a, a solution of hypochlorite, which is white king bleach. You dip the frame that you've cleaned off into a bucket of water with a cap full of bleach and let that dry in the, warm, in the warmth and then put it back in the hive and the bees will build through that and reuse the frame. The hypochlorite bleach will simply um, just disinfect the whole thing, which is good. So that's a, another thing you can do. If you're looking in your beehive and you see that there's a lot of dark looking frames, good idea to cull those and put fresh ones in. And whatever you do, when you see the, the queen is building up and laying her eggs in the frames in the bottom box, you must lift those up above the queen excluder and put fresh ones below because if the season kicks off as we are predicting it may do this year with the change of the weather and the, and the cold weather beginning to go its own way, uh, you're going to need to put a lot more fresh frames into the beehive to encourage the queen to have enough space for her to lay her eggs. Otherwise, you can get overcrowding and if you're not checking them every couple of weeks, the overcrowding will lead to swarming and that's a disaster for a beekeeper. Okay, so take some good advice from an old guy of 30 years and uh, make sure that you rotate your frames that are full of sealed brood up above the queen excluder and allow fresh frames in the brood nest. My rule of thumb is anywhere between four and six new frames need to go in the brood nest every two weeks when the honey flow begins. So when the honey flow begins and there's lots of activity, the bees are going really, really busy, you need to make sure that the stimulus is there and the queen has plenty of room to lay. Otherwise, they will just take off and go into somebody's letterbox and we don't want that. Okay, and now we have a question for you too, Dan. Please, go ahead. Okay, we're in Claremont. Jess, good morning. Yes, morning. How are you? We're great. Good. Thank good. you. Good. Um, Dan, I, I've got three hives and I was very worried about um, the wet weather and the girls not getting out. So I bought some of that um, feed bee and when, I, when it arrived, I read the instructions and it said not to feed them in winter. 
So what, what's your advice? Should I be feeding them or not feeding them? Well, we are on the cusp of spring, my dear. So I, I would say to you, in the next couple of weeks, after this next spell of rain, I'd be very tempted to give them some food. Now, if you've got a Boardman feeder on the front of the hive with a glass jar, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 so down one. Fill, fill one of those half full and see what happens. If it's gone in a day, you know they're starving. Um. They haven't got sufficient stores in there. If, it's, if, it's, if they're not using it much at all, take it off because they don't need to be fed. And you said you were in what suburb? In Claremont. Yeah, I think you'd probably find that there's plenty of food around there uh, in the gardens all about all around you. So I would find that, yeah, you can feed them if you get an indication that they're starving, they're hungry and they've been too cold for too long. Put, put a half a jar on, see how that goes. And if, it, uh, if they don't need it, take it off. Right, right. Oh, that's a really good tip because I didn't know how to measure it. <laughs> so okay. Perfect. Don't don't Thank water you, it down, by the way. Just put it in neat. What powdered? Or... Oh, it's, pow- oh, it's powder, is it? It's a powdered one, and then you mix it with sugar syrup to make a. Okay. Yeah. Well, just just put in half a jar. Yep. Right. Okay. okay. All right. Great. Thanks very much. Well done. Good on you, Jess. Cheers for that. All right, we do have to have a short break. We will be chatting next with Ethel about hyacinths, one of my favourite flowers. Straight back out to the lines you are tuned into. Let's talk gardening. We are in Dianella. Ethel, good morning. Oh, good morning. Yes, I'd like to ask about hyacinths. Um, I've just they've just finished flowering, and a couple of them have got a new stem. Uh, one died, and but they've got a new stem coming up with fresh flowers. But how do I preserve those bulbs so I can use them again next year, please? Okay. Are they in a pot or in the ground, Ethel? Uh, There's four in a pot and one in water in a little container. Okay. They've all flowered beautifully. All right. The one that's in water, I think I would put it into a pot like the others. And what you want to do is feed the plant while it's dying down because it will take the the nutrients from the leaves and put that energy as it dies down into the bulb feeding up that bulb with uh, the blooms for next year. So as the plant is dying down, probably uh, a liquid fertiliser like Thrive, Aquasol, Miracle, Grow, Power Feed, something along those lines. Yes. Uh, And this is why I like to to use a slow-release fertiliser. It always goes into the potting mix as a backup, and that's what plants in my ground get as well, so that you've got that backup and you can boost it with the liquid. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. And, and then, like, I, I leave them in the pot till next year? Well, you can, and or when they die down and dry out. So you would put the pot where it can dry out. So there's the top will just uh, brown off and almost disintegrate. You can pull the leaves away and then empty out the bulbs and store them for next year in a in a dry place. Oh, you've been most helpful. I'll enjoy them again next year, I hope. Thank Beautiful. you. I hope so, Ethel. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. <coughs> yeah. And what, of course, what fragrance they have. Oh, and, oh. and Ray, look, this is uh, one of my favourites. This is early Jumpful. cheer. It's a double white. Yeah. And I've got some in the ground. I've got some in pots. And 
it's just a joy. The mm, the fragrance. Fun. Have a sniff of that, Dan. How, what do you think the bees would reckon about that? Oh yeah, that's that so that's pretty sweet. damn good. Mm. Yeah. It's so lovely to have plants in the garden that have fragrance. Fragrance, yeah, most important. Yeah. Mm. Yes. You've got to marry a girl that smells like that, don't you? Really? <laughs> I'm, I'm taken. <laughs> but oh, it's a lovely time for bulbs, and of course they just keep on giving. And mm. there's bulbs for every season. Mm. I know it's time you could be looking. Looking up the online catalogues for hippie astrums right my now. My absolute favourite, all-time oh. favourite, is my hippies. Yes, for sure. Yes, absolutely. I encourage. Okay, nine four eight four one nine two seven. I know there's some calls coming through, but carry right. on. Well, I just wanted to talk to Dan about the the problem bees that we get. Okay. Um, listeners call in and they say, "Oh, I've got a a swarm in my tree, or mm. I've got a hive in my box, or." Um, there's so many bees around the water. How can I get rid of them? Okay, let's can... deal with a few of those quickly. Okay. Um, if, if you've got a swimming pool or a neighbour has a swimming pool complaining about bees drowning in the pool, all you need to do is to get a piece of very thin polystyrene, like the white stuff you get with a TV box. Just, <laughs> just, just cut a few squares um, as big as an A4 piece of paper and let them float in the pool. Now, after 70 million years, the bees have never learned to swim. So they inevitably fall in the pool because the sides of the pool are slippery yeah. and they can't hang on. And they fall in and drown, unfortunately. So if you can float one of these uh, or two of these uh, strips of polystyrene, they land on that, they have a drink and they fly away. It doesn't matter if your pool is salty, they will drink the water, no problems at all. Oh, salted caramel honey. Salted caramel honey. <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> now, if you if you suddenly find in the springtime there's in your rose bush there's a huge bunch of bees arrived. That's called a swarm. They've come from a hive somewhere. You need to say to yourself, well, I should leave them alone because normally after 24 hours they leave again and, and that's not going to be a home for them. But isn't that a problem because then we've got these Feral bees. Yeah, but let me just come okay. to the let me come to the point. So it could be a midway point to their new house. They haven't quite got enough energy to get to where they're going. So they stop and they land on the on the rose bush for an afternoon and you go out and the next morning they're gone. Okay. Now if they're still there, then there's a problem. You know, they're not they're not moving on. So you need to get on to a beekeeper, a local beekeeper. Now, the WA Apris Society is available and it's got a big list of swarm collectors. And these people are really good at their job, and they will come by your house. They may even charge you a small fee, but they will put the bees into a box around 5 o'clock in the evening and wait for all the bees to go in. When the sun goes down, they'll lock the box up and take them all away. Mm, That's very, very simple. So nothing left behind. So they then will be set up. In a managed hive In a managed hive in the future. That's okay. exactly right. Yeah, That's yeah, the best yeah. result that we can hope so for. So if you it? need to look it up on the internet, if you've got the internet, waas.org.au, and you go on the site and it's got, it says swarm collectors and a big long list of guys in every suburb and they'll come out and help you out. Fantastic. How's that sound? It sounds wonderful. Very good. We're in Como. Hi, Laurie. How's it going? Well, thank you. Great. My brother's in Tanzania. He has a single olive tree and is wondering whether he's going to get any fruit or whether he needs a second tree somewhere. I would think one tree would do it. I, I would. Be, uh, Dan, do you know? 
<laughs> We've got a single tree in our backyard. Mm. It goes crazy. Mm. Yeah, it does. Oh, brilliant. Yep. Okay. I, I don't think Thanks. there's any problems with that. Tanzania, okay. my yeah. goodness. <laughs> is he uh, there for a, a short period or a long time? No, he, he went over as a volunteer 10 years ago and he's now oh. got um, a retirement visa to uh, to live there. So he's uh, wanting to, some of the comforts of, uh, of Oz over there mm. and Olives are um, one of those things that he can't or hasn't had so far. Right, and it's mm. uh, they are very hardy trees and, oh, in fact, uh, I think they may even be classed as a weed here because of their potential. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, to pop up in bushland, birds come in or small animals. I know we've got bandicoots that eat the olives that drop to the ground. So they pop out the seeds in bushland and they have a very low requirement for... black-faced cuckoo shrikes (laughs) come to eat the olives at our place. Okay. They are really beautiful birds. Yep. So one tree should do it. Okay, thank Good you. Okay. Thanks, Laurie. Okay, and now we're heading to Gosnells. We've got a question for Dan. Linda, good morning. Good morning, all, and good morning, Dan. Yes, um, Linda. I've had a problem with um, bees living in my weatherboard wall in a certain spot right next to the uh, fence line, and I've had ages ago I had complaints. I haven't complained at the moment, but I've had to have all the weatherboards taken off and the bees taken out. It's been twice, and now I've got them again. What do I do? Same drill again. You're going to have to get someone in. This time, once they've vacated all the bees out, you need to make sure there are no holes left behind. And also, I'd be inclined to use some something like a mortine surface spray all over the area that the bees have been so they won't sniff it and come back to it. And was there something well, about spraying vinegar to... To get rid of that oh, scent? Everything. They've tried all manner of okay. things, yes. So the surface it, it's a difficult. It's a difficult problem in weatherboard houses, and I know exactly what you have seen many, many of this type of swarm problem. But the bees will come, they'll find, they'll insinuate them their way into a little tiny crack somewhere, and they'll get behind the, um, the weatherboards, and they'll build a huge comb. And uh, it, mm, it can be a right. really, really difficult issue. Yeah, so you're going to have to have it done again. Well, uh, the first time I had it done, um, I had this chap. Um, he was a a big um, a bee, bee bee man in, in his time, and um, he, that he and his son came, took all the weatherboards off, took them took them away, and sprayed it with mortine spray. Yeah. Okay. But it didn't work. So you just have to repeat, Linda? have to keep repeating. But the, the, the issue is when they replace the materials on the side of your house, got to make sure there are no holes anywhere because a bee won't get in if there isn't a hole. So there's that's obviously the a gap, so there's a gap somewhere. So yeah, maybe when, the they're fixing, when they're fixing the cladding onto the house, maybe you need to use mastic around the edges and nails or and screws so there yeah, are no little thing. gaps anywhere. It's been wrecking my weatherboards by having to take them off and put them back on again and oh, take yes. them off and put them back on again. Of course, of course. So keep keep reapplying the surface spray, Linda. All right. Okay. Okay. It's I a, feel very sad. We feel very sad. sorry for you. That It's a really difficult problem. It really is. I mean, I didn't mind it when they're on the other side of the house because um, it, it was no problem to anyone because it's right near the fence line and they've obviously found a lovely spot where there's sun in the morning and it's you know mm. protected they keep on going there and the 
people, elderly people next door have complained at times and I just feel it's sad that they can't stay there. Yeah. The unfortunate thing is that it costs hundreds and hundreds of dollars for people to come in and it's such a lengthy process to have to do it all, take it all off and clean it all well, up and I've, spray it all down, wash it all down, spray it, and then yeah, put we'll everything back. And it's and a, real, a real pain, yeah. Yeah, well, John Morgan, oh, you might have known the name, he came first with his son, mm-hmm. and um, they they did it for me for nothing because I was good friends with them, and then they put them all back again, and then um, someone else came, they took them off because we couldn't get near them, but we put them back on again because it was just, you know, it's just too much, you know, to have somebody come in and do it. And um, I was thinking of maybe cutting the weatherboards in half so they only have to take half of it off the wall. Okay. The trick is when you're re-cladding is to get mastic and put it on the edges of your boards and put it back and then that seals the edges like a little seal and then screw the stuff in or nail it in or whichever, you know. Okay. So you've got no gaps. But if you've got a gap, the bee will go in again. Okay, okay, we have okay. to move on then, A common Linda. problem. Thanks, love. Thank you Cheers very much. Thank you. Bye. Okay, short break when we return. We are chatting with Edith in Darlington. Curtain Radio. Appreciate your company this morning, of which we have about five minutes left of Let's Talk Gardening to go. Then you'll be joined by the chirpy George Minoldi with the classic 60s. Okay, we're straight out to the lines. We're in Darlington. Edith, good morning. Morning, Edith. Hello. Um, yes, I've just uh, got a problem with a bee beehive in one of our gum trees. They, the nest, they've been there for a few years now and they, they can actually get quite aggressive sometimes. And I did ring somebody to come and remove it and he was going to charge $250. So I'm just wondering... Is it very high it, up in the air? Oh, no. No, only probably about six feet. Oh, that's not far, is it? No. No. Okay. No, have no. you got a computer? I, I have. Yeah. Can you look up, uh, write this down, W-A-A-S. Sorry, W-A-A-S. A-A-S. Yes. Yeah. .org.au. O-R-G dot O-R-G Right. And that's okay. the WA Apris Society. They've got 1,200 members, and they've got a right. list in that site that tells you where all the swarm collectors are. Okay. What suburb are you from again? Darlington. Darlington. Yeah, you'll probably find someone up that way who'll be able to uh, pop in and have a look at that problem for you. Dan, if the if there's a hollow in the tree... There and is the a bees... hollow. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? There is a hollow? There is a bit of a hollow, yeah. Okay. So well, if they're inside the tree, it's not yeah. so easy to just relocate them, is it? Does no. Does a tree have to be sealed up to ensure that they don't set up home again? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what the guys can do, they can put a box up at that level where the opening is and entice as many bees as they can to go inside a box. But it's it's a difficult question because they leave the queen behind. And then she'll just keep laying eggs, da-da-da. So, so uh, what you may have to do is, uh, in some cases, Stuart's Pest Control would come and give the whole thing a good spray, and then you need to seal the hole up. Oh. Am I making sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't really want to kill any. You don't want to kill one of those. Okay. 
All right. Well, you could ask uh, one of the experienced swarm collectors his opinion and see what they can do for you. But it, it is a conundrum. You mm. can't always get them out of there. That's the problem. Okay. And then it becomes costly to stay there and come and check every day, twice a day, da-da-da. It goes on and on. So how how serious are you about getting rid of the bees? That's the thing. Well, I'd like, because I've been stung quite a few times, they like, they start. They chase me. Yeah. They come after me, <laughs> and they, like I say, they they can get quite aggressive. Okay. You know, so well, you, you've got a you've got a decision to make. Hmm. Um, either get Stuart's pest control, someone like that, who will come and spray the whole thing. They all die out. And you can put some goodie in there and block up the tree hole, and you won't have the problem anymore. Or you can try the long, long, slow method, uh, which may involve you know several hundred dollars to get them out. Oh. There you go, Edith. We've got to, <laughs> we've got to, yeah, we've got to move on. It's now. either or. Okay. Thank you. Good luck, Edith. Cheers for that. Uh, thank, thank you. Bye. Okay. And the National Trust is seeking garden volunteers for the historic Samson House in Fremantle. If you have a green thumb and love spending time in the garden, get along to their information session on Friday, the 13th of August at Samson House. The session runs from 10am to 12 noon and you'll learn more about the National Trust and have a chance to explore the grounds of Samson House. If you'd like to know more, you can register your details at nationaltrust.org.au forward slash WA. That's nationaltrust.org.au forward slash WA. Now, would you like to give away your book very quickly, Faith? Oh, yes. we Well, this book that was sent to us on Future Steading, I, I was going to keep it um, because I just love it, but I'm going to give it away. So for the first caller on 94841927, it's your lucky day. And please not to have won a prize in the last 28 days on the radio station and to be a Curtin FM member if you can give those details to the lovely Cheryl and you can come in and collect the book from the station it's too big for us to post it to you must be able to come in and grab it Uh, Future Steading the book is all yours is a magnificent coffee table book All right, we have one more call Uh, Karen is back from Queen's Park good morning Karen Good, good morning. Sorry that I ring again. I was just wondering, I have, I have got a pool about the bees, uh, and I put some styropore on it, uh, on, uh, on, on top of it, and I hoped that the bees would land there, but they don't. I thought it, it is, the white is very bright. Is it better if I paint it? Do they prefer a certain color? That's all what I want to know. <laughs> uh, they, they will land on the white. That's fine. That's fine. They, okay. re- they really they will use it. They don't want to. They, 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 they drown next to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't... Attach I can't... some sticks, Karen, so well, they go you, you down can, into the water like a little float, jetty. Yeah, you can float a little um, piece of pine in the water as well, which is okay, duller dull, dull in colour. That may work. Okay. Okay. okay, okay good, good. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Karen. Cheers. Bye. Dan, thank you for coming in this morning. You're a star. We appreciate it very much. And uh, love you, love your style, love your work. And thanking Cheryl Kennedy for jumping in as our producer today. And <laughs> she's <laughs> thumbs up. Yay, she made it. She's probably really uh, glad to uh, have, have gotten out the other end. And Margie from Gwellop is the winner of the beautiful book. Uh, so good on you, Margie. Uh, you will enjoy that. All right, just thanking the team. Thanks, Farrah Caro. George Minoldi is next with the classic 60s. And uh, the gardenisms for the morning are keep calm and love winter 
and every winter has its spring. Don't forget that. Happy gardening, everyone. We will be back next week. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.